Hi, everyone. Welcome to part two of my fitness nutrition for optimizing your health goal, goals conversation. And my name is Jill Foos. I am your host for the evening of Jill Foos Wellness. I'm an integrative nutrition and functional medicine health coach. I have my own business and I work with people of all different ages and with all different health goals um, and absolutely just love what I do. I am here with Bobby DeThomasis from Performance Training System in Chicago. He is a master strength and conditioning coach. And I'm so happy to have him back for part two. We just went on such a deep dive in part one that we just had to stop and, and set another date. There's just so much information on fitness nutrition and why it is so incredibly important. So Bobby, thank you so much for coming back. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to do our second part of this. Yeah, me too. So I could go on for like 30 minutes with listing all your credentials like I did in part one. Oh, and by the way, folks, if you did not see part one, it's living on my Facebook page, Jill Foose Wellness, and you can go back and look at that, listen to it, take notes. It's about an hour long, big deep dive. I'm going to recap some of the um, conversation here in just a moment. But before we do that, um, Bobby, I met you at Poliquin, which is located in Northfield. It's a private gym. Mostly it was back then when I met you for uh, professional athletes, but us regular folk got to come in every once in a while and, and flex our muscles too, especially we, us We moms. were lucky to have you for sure. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was great. It I was eye-opening for sure. Um, tell me how you even entered into this space. Like what was, what went on in your life as a child? What was your path to get you here? Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, so I always had a passion for exercise and fitness and training, um, specifically from a perspective of sport performance. Uh, played a bunch of sports growing up, um, played football in college also. And I originally um, kind of started on this path when I was in high school and actually had gotten injured while playing football. Um, and had some time to spend with our team athletic trainer um, to do some rehabilitation. I had fractured my hand. Um, so I was doing my rehab uh, with this athletic trainer and it was just a, a really great experience. Um, so something that I started to kind of look into further. Um, and I was one of the very fortunate people that knew well before college what I wanted to major in, um, was fortunate enough to get accepted into the uh, athletic training program at um, SUNY Cortland, Cortland State University um, in central New York, which is where I did my undergrad. Um, did my uh, bachelor's in athletic training with a concentration in strength and conditioning. And then when I came out, I uh, went through the certification boards, became a, a certified athletic trainer, certified strength and conditioning coach. Um, and at that time, I was living and working on, on Long Island in New York. And the guy that I was working for, my boss at the time, was a proponent of the Poliquin Principles uh, by Charles Poliquin. And uh, I was fortunate enough to learn many of kind of the principles that, that Charles had taught at the time. He had several different types of certifications, one of which was specific towards nutrition. Um, it was called the biosignature modulation. 
And I had really never been off of the East Coast much, right? Like I basically thought it was, you know, New York, Pennsylvania, and then California. I didn't realize there was a whole country in between, basically, as many of us did from the East Coast. So um, I was lucky enough at the time to, uh, to be able to come out to Chicago for the first time in 2007. This was April to do a certification program and internship with Charles Poliquin at the Poliquin Performance Center, where you and I met. Uh, at the time, uh, the guy that owned and ran the facility, a guy named Mike Baistol, who, who we spoke briefly about last, mm -hmm. last conversation, uh, was looking for some new coaches. And um, they were, as you mentioned, really big into training the hockey demographic of all ages, really starting as, as young as like 10, 12 year olds, um, all the way up through the professionals. And um, I was really lucky to, uh, you know, have a, a chance to kind of get into a discussion with Mike Beistall. And I applied for, for a position, um, moved out two weeks later, and I've been in Chicago ever since, basically. Yeah, that was such a great gym. And absolutely love reading about Charles Pollock, which I did a lot of. And right. I only I only met him like once or twice. For those okay. of you who don't know who Charles Pollock is, he's a really, really big deal. Unfortunately, he passed away. I think it's been like two, three years. Yeah, yeah over two years, I think. Yeah. yeah. But he, um, if you listen to Tim Ferriss or Dave Asprey from Bulletproof or yeah. Joe Rogan, you will yeah. hear Charles Poliquin's name dropped all the time. He is a master strength and conditioning coach and just trained Olympians and professional athletes. And it, it just left such an incredible, unique mark uh, worldwide on trainers who can now, you know, hand this philosophy down to your clients. So it's yeah. really just incredible. Yeah. Um, I remember when we first met, you kept like healthy raw nuts in your locker and in between your clients, you, I would catch you like when I was going to get my coat and get dressed oh to leave, I would catch yeah. you like having a handful of nuts. Yeah, and I was yeah, like, totally. wow, that's impressive. Cause you were really, I mean, this is over 10 years ago. You were really young and you just had that intuition of of how to snack and how to eat and do you remember when I worked out there I cooked for I do. all of the professional athletes that I came do. they I were do. either injured or free agents and yeah. I I must have cooked them like 30 40 pounds of animal protein every <laughs> week for one of those athletes oh my gosh yeah, yeah. well that was probably on the low end for some of them too yeah. and then do you remember mike beistel went and he was a big um hunter he went yeah. to montana i believe That's this right. one time with his bow and arrow and came back with like I don't even know, maybe it was a venison. I don't even know, some huge yeah. animal. He gave me a slab of meat and he said, I don't know what cut this is, but cook it for the athletes. I, <laughs> oh my God, my house. Oh, and I had God. five little kids at home. It smelled so bad. I didn't oh, know what God. I was doing. It was, yeah. That's actually really, this is the first time I'm hearing that story, actually. Yeah. I, did, I do remember Mike going on his hunting trip and uh, it was yeah. either Montana or New Mexico. It was something like that, but uh, and he took, I think it was an elk that he took. Oh, down. you're right. You know what? Um, it was I remember Mexico. coming back. Yeah. 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 Yeah, like, yeah. That's right. That's right. I remember he was, he was yeah. really excited about that trip for sure. Yeah. I'll never forget that. 
All right. Oh, no. Anyway, I, I didn't realize that he gave you so much though. That's great. Oh, it was, I had no clue what to do with it. I was in back then on the internet, you know, there was very limited information on right. how to cook this kind of stuff, right? Oh, it yeah. smells so bad. Oh my God. <laughs> Mike was so gracious when I gave it to him. I'm sure it was so horrible. And he was oh. like, yeah, it was a little overdone, Jill, but <laughs> good job. I'm like, but yeah, right, but great job. <laughs> right. Oh my God. So funny. all right. Let let's move on and dive in. Okay. I want to just recap part one real quickly for those of our listeners out there who did not join us, but join us, go back and, and, and do your due diligence and uh, listen to it. So we deep dived on a lot of topics in part one on fitness nutrition, but we started off with something like super important, which is knowing your why. Everybody has a different why. And before you can really get on that health journey and be successful, knowing the why is such an integral part of that equation. Like, you know, everybody's reasonings are different. Some people wake up every day and they just feel like shit. And one day they wake up and they're like, I'm tired of feeling like shit. Um, some people get back, you know, not such good looking blood work from their primary physicians. Um, so they need to change things up. Uh, other People are having grandchildren and all of a sudden they acknowledge they can't even bend over and tie their own shoes. So how in the heck are they going to, you know, be an active grandparent and be able to pick up that toddler, right? So everybody's um, reasoning, everybody's why is different. Um, in the world of fitness, those differences between two different people show up the same way, though. We come in with injuries and arthritis and sports goals, all of these different reasons of showing up. Um, play a huge role in understanding what our why is in the first place. So folks, the first thing you need to do is figure out your why, whether it's meditation or through journaling or through having a conversation with a health coach like me or someone like Bobby or your primary physician, you know, figure out that why, super important. We also talked about the differences between, possible differences between men and women eating around different workouts and other, we discovered that or agreed on that other than um, women sort of having to eat a little bit differently around their menstrual cycle. There's really not too many differences between men and women. We also covered working out in a fasted state versus um, eating first. And we went over the pros and cons. I personally work out in a fasted state each morning. I don't see any cons for the average person like me, but they're like you pointed out, they're are probably differences for athletes, whether amateur, um, college, professional, um, they are already metabolically flexible and have a different unique why. So they do need to feel differently than the average folk like me. We also dove deep into creatine. And I love that discussion um, because I've always thought of creatine as something very negative and something, you know, the old paradigm was comparing it to steroids. But now it's just incredible because the studies coming out show the many benefits, health benefits to taking creatine for both men and women. Um, health benefits range from brain health to ATP production, which is the energy production within our mitochondria in our cells, mm -hmm. um, all the way to showing benefits to a fetus's development in utero. So pregnant women obviously have been um, there have been studies of pregnant women taking this too as a supplement. So really interesting stuff. 
So no longer needed is that negative steroid comparison um, that we dealt with many, many years ago. So part two is all about how we're gonna put all these components together and use them in everyday life. And Bobby and I have decided we're really gonna focus on people like me, people that are just the average person working out, trying to be healthy. And we're gonna dive into um, the nuances of making a pre and post-workout shake, protein bars, meals. We really wanna capture um, the full spectrum of this and be a little bit more specific in part two. And before we start, I do wanna say that while Bobby and I are both professionals um, in our own arenas, we are not medical doctors. And so everything that we're talking about today, all of our suggestions, tips and hacks are just that. It is imperative that before you start on any supplement or try anything new, you absolutely consult with your primary physician and figure out what is good for you, what might not work for you. Maybe you're on some kind of medicine that shouldn't be mixed with certain things. Only you know that. Bobby and I are only here to share information, share our experiences and our opinions. Um, but at the end of the day, you are your own boss on your journey and have to do your own due diligence and be your own detective. So um, anything that you wanna to add to that, Bobby? No, I think that's such a great point. Um, I think like we talked a little bit about last time, like everybody is their own individual and in all programs, whether it's an exercise program or a nutrition program, or even like a change in lifestyle type of program needs to be individualized for each specific person, you know? so. Um, this is actually a, a really kind of, it, it turned out to be somewhat a funny, of a funny story, um, but it's super interesting. And this is actually, a, it was a huge lesson for me. Um, I had uh, one of the supplements that I really like um, almost giving to or uh, recommending to just about every one of my clients is curcumin. Um, love curcumin for its anti-inflammatory and ox um, um, antioxidant properties and all those sorts of things. Um, the anti-inflammatory component is probably one of the most powerful parts to supplementing with curcumin, right? So I would recommend it to many of my clients, uh, specifically many of my athletes, you know, and we get it from, from great sources and great companies. Like I mentioned last time, I like Designs for Health being one of them. Mm -hmm. um, so I had given it, and this was a professional football player um, who, uh, you know, was under a big contract. Um, so things really need to be needed to be dialed in. So I give him curcumin, a handful of other supplements. Um, he leaves, and, and this was during his off-season training, goes in and starts playing with his team, and they do some, some blood work, which, which I was super happy about, which is great that they're getting so specific with it. All of a sudden, a couple of days uh, after he leaves, he calls me up. He's like, I got to get off the curcumin straight away. And I'm like, what do you mean, dude? What's going on? He's like, I just got a blood test back. I'm allergic to curcumin. Mm -hmm. I'd never even heard of anything <clears throat> like that happening. I'm like, yeah. I, you know, obviously we talk about food allergies all the time and the, you know, the major components, gluten, dairy, soy, corn, those sorts of things. I'm like curcumin, that's kind of like an incredible thing and, and a, a somewhat rare thing to have a sensitivity to. But the point being basically is that I think people definitely need to keep in mind that supplementing needs to be very specific to their needs. Um, and like you mentioned too, they need to bring it all up with their primary care physician. It should definitely be based off of some of their blood labs or, um, you know, the urine analysis and those sorts of things, making sure that your kidneys are healthy, making sure that your liver is healthy, those sorts of things too. 
Um, and if you need specific nutrients, let's say you are living in Chicago and you never see the sun and you're vitamin D deficient, which of course, as we know, is, is mm-hmm. an epidemic in this country, unfortunately. Yes, you should be supplementing with vitamin D, um, but not necessarily just throwing supplements at something without actually, like you mentioned, doing your due diligence, having all of the information um, and starting off with healthy eating habits as well, right? Because I mean, supplements are meant to do just that. They're meant to supplement an already healthy diet, an already healthy lifestyle. You know, you can take all the supplements in the world, but if you're still eating like shit, you're never really going to be able to improve your health, make progress, maybe to a very small degree, but certainly not on a large scale. So I'm really glad you brought that up. And I think that's definitely a great point for people to understand. Yeah, so important to stay in your own lane. And just because your uh, neighbor looks, you know, hot in her size two yoga pants <laughs> and takes like 15 supplements doesn't mean that's your equation, right? right? Totally. We're all different. Okay. For sure. All right. So I want to, I'm going to start off the discussion by posing just a scenario, a typical scenario I see a lot of, I'm sure you do too. And then I want to just break it down with you. And after we break it down, we're going to really move into dissecting protein powders, ingredients, protein bars, and really just how to put this all together. So here's my scenario. Person A, let's just say it's a you know, middle-aged man, and he's got about, you know, 15 pounds to lose. Mm -hmm. So he just finishes his weight training session and he stops at his gym's juice and smoothie bar on the way out. And he orders himself one of these jumbo sized smoothies with vegan protein powder, banana, berries, almond milk, peanut butter, chia seeds, hemp seeds, cacao nibs, pumpkin seeds, and dates. And he wonders why his stomach feels bloated and gurgly and just horrible. He wonders why he's not losing weight and he wonders why he's hungry two hours later, like famished. So let's just dissect this a little bit. I'm going to have you go first. I have my own thoughts on it, but from your perspective, because you know, it's good to just open up the conversation and see where we differ. Um, And tell me what you see good and what you see wrong with this picture. Okay. Well, first off, that sounds delicious. So, I mean, that's the good <laughs> part right now. Um, so I say first and foremost, I think where people kind of lose track with, um, let's call it peri-workout nutrition, nutrition that's around somebody's workout um, is understanding the nutrients that are involved. We talked a little bit last time um, about the three macronutrients, protein, carbs, and fat, right? Um, and kind of how they should be manipulated through somebody's diet, uh, depending on what their why is, what their goals are, you know. Um, As we discussed last time, somebody that is a bit overweight, that probably has the somewhat associated other types of kind of common medical conditions that are pretty typical with with overweight and and potentially obese, you know, high blood sugar, poor blood lipids, so high cholesterol, high LDLs, low HDLs, triglycerides, all those sorts of things, potentially hemoglobin A1C, which as we know is is a 30-day marker for what your blood sugar looks like over a one-month period. Um, You know, if if some of these numbers are, uh, you know, outside of the reference range and, and much higher than we would want them to be, they probably don't need a lot of carbohydrates in their diet, right? A little bit of carbs after the workout is probably okay if they want to get it from good sources. Like, you know, if they do a really hard, high intensity uh, resistance training or, um, you know, a HIIT workout or something along those lines and they eat a banana afterwards, 
it's not going to kill them, of course. Um, however, I think where people start to lose track is that they say, oh, well, I, you know, I went to an, an orange theory class and they put up the amount of calories that I burned. I don't know if this is a thing, but I hear, you know, classes, oh, you burned four five, six, eight hundred 800 calories. Okay, well, I'm going to go consume something that kind of equates to the same amount of calories that I burn. The body just doesn't really work that way, mm -hmm. um, of course, as you know. So when people consume the shake that, that you had kind of outlined, um, first off, it's way too much for the digestive system to handle, right? I mean, absolutely. that's not the way that humans had evolved to be able to break down nutrients, right? Like right. our digestive systems can only really handle so much. Of course, it's dependent on a lot of factors, the size, mm -hmm. you know, um, things that you are tolerant or intolerant to your levels of digestive enzymes, all things that your levels of hydrochloric acid, which is the acid that breaks right. down proteins, right? A lot of people are, are deficient in hydrochloric acid. And it's one of the reasons I think why so many digestive disorders are really starting to kind of, um, you know, pop up more frequently um, is that people just don't have the ability to break down a lot of those nutrients because they just don't have the components that they need again, HDL, hydrochloric acid, digestive enzymes to do it. So of course, when they take in so much stuff, like the shake that you outlined, they're not going to be able to digest it. So they're going to feel bloated. They're going to feel full. They're going to feel nauseous. Um, and it just kind of sets them up to be uh, not really able to utilize a lot of the nutrients that they're trying to, to consume, right? And they think they're doing a good job, but unfortunately, they're kind of setting themselves up for disaster. Um, so a, it's just too much for the digestive system to handle B, uh, like we mentioned last time, after your workout, you want food to digest as fast as possible, right? Your muscles are so primed to get nutrients into them mm -hmm. that you want to try and get those nutrients into the digested and absorbed and into the bloodstream, which would then bring it to the muscle as fast as you can. What does not digest fast? Fat, right? right. So post-workout, taking in fat, good healthy sources of fat, I think is extremely important. And um, unfortunately, in the mid-1900s, information that turned out to be very erroneous information, um, and I think that there's a massive um, blood glucose and associated disorder epidemic, uh, probably, you uh, hate to use this word under these circumstances, but potentially even pandemic going on um, because of the low fat craze that was brought about, I'm sure right. you know this, by Ansel Keys back in the 1950s. Mm -hmm. um, and they were trying to push more carbohydrates on people. And then people became, you know, over consuming carbohydrates, under consuming good healthy fats. Um, so, you know, at the time, fat got a really bad name, but Fat is essential to human life. We need to eat it. There are, as we talked about last time, essential fatty acids, omega-3 fatty acids, certain omega-6 and omega-9s, right? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's really important to get that stuff in, but post-workout is probably not the best time to do it right. for that reason, because it's going to slow digestion down so much and it's going to negatively affect how fast the protein, which uh, at that point is probably the most important part for people that need to right. or are looking to lose weight, um, and potentially if, you know, if you're lean enough to consume carbs, it's going to slow down how fast the carbs can get digested as well. And that's probably the thing that if you're going to eat them needs to occur 
as close to the workout and get into the muscle as fast as possible because your body becomes less and less sensitive to that as time goes on. What's that time frame post weight workout? You know, it's, it's kind of like you mentioned people that are metabolically flexible. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could be up to 12 or, or 16 or 18 hours for somebody that's not metabolically flexible. Uh, it literally needs, it, it's a, it's like a, um, uh, it's like a downward continuum, right? Like your body is most sensitive right after the workout ends mm -hmm. and then it slowly starts ramping downward. Right. So right. Um, for people that are way less metabolically flexible, I would say within an hour, probably. Right. And that, yeah. And that's what I suggest too, yeah. is within that 30, 45 minute window, get your, your post-workout shake down. And then, you know, 30 to 60 minutes after that, have a full meal. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Just sure. refuel. So I want to just a couple things. I want to break, um, just mention HCL for a second, which is the acid that breaks down all of your food. What is the number one cause of people not being able to, to have enough HCL in their gut to break down food? proton pump inhibitors, right? Absolutely. acids, all that shit out there that these people take. So they drink the jumbo size smoothie with, you know, 17 ingredients in it that are bloating them. Then they go and pop their acid or their, or their pepsin or whatever it is right. to take care of the heartburn and the stomach pain. But then they wonder why nothing's working. Nothing, yeah, exactly. I still no, feel bloated. What's going on? Yeah. Right. There's, there's no solve here. By the way, people, those types of medications, and you can talk to your primary care physician about this because it is medical science. You can go on the internet and look this up. Those, those things make it very difficult to come off of. If you've been on those for a long term, long, like for years, and I have clients who've been on them for literally decades, it is almost impossible to get off of them yeah. and not feel really sick. So yeah. be careful about um, taking those. That's why whole food is just so important in terms of um, building a base, a foundation. All right. So here's my view on the, um, the post-workout shake. And I agree yeah. with you in terms of avoiding the fat. You know, yeah. I tell all of my clients, you the fat is going to slow down the absorption rate. And the whole point is to get that protein in um, to replace the lost glycogen in your muscle tissue, right? And yeah. start start the repair and the recovery process so that you can work out again the next day or two days later, right? right, right. So vegan protein powder, in my mind, in my view, is very subpar. Um, it leads to a lot of GI issues due to the high lectins, phytic acids, and sometimes oxalates. And these are all anti-nutrients that cause leaky gut issues. And I get it, you know, there are vegans out there or vegetarians or even people who have food sensitivities. But if you're going to go down the vegan protein powder um, path, make sure that you maybe don't have other foods like that, that are high in lectins. These are highly processed protein powders. These are not cooked down. So when we're eating vegan foods, plant-based foods, we wanna make sure in order to reduce at least 50 to 70% of the anti-nutrients in there that we cook them. So just make sure on the days that you're gonna have a vegan protein powder, you somehow, balance it out with making sure you cook down all of your um, plant-based foods during that day. Just, just 
it's super easy. Steam them, bake them, roast them, whatever it is, just cook them. So, um, but that is probably the last on my list in terms of um, optimal protein powder options. So that's the first thing. Also, um, let's see, I have a little list here. So we talked about the fat slowing down the digestion, the absorption rate. Um, carbs, I am okay with people who earn carbs, that get carbs post-workout, because that's the most optimal time to eat carbs, whether it's a banana or frozen berries or you know whatever it is that you're having, that's definitely the time to do it. But not everybody earned that. So I think last time we talked about if you have a visible, visible six pack, not one that you have to like literally put your fingers in three inches deep to say, oh, there is a six pack on the door. No, one that's visible, then you definitely are someone who can earn your carbs. Um, and also, again, it goes back to your why. So then here's my biggest thing, adding in various quote unquote, superfood ingredients also causes a lot of bloating and makes it virtually impossible to figure out which one of those 17 ingredients is actually the one that's causing the problems. Mm -hmm. So yes, our chia seeds, hemp seeds, flax seeds, cacaonids, pumpkin seeds, and all these things, are they like independently? Do they have attributes to them? Yes. But I truly believe, and I'm also coming from a, I'm a carnivore, but I don't push carnivore on anybody. It's not on any of my clients, nothing. But I am a huge believer that all plant foods do have anti-nutrients. And the more that you add in at one time, the more possibilities there are of getting a GI issue, whatever that is to you. It could be a migraine. It could be um, itchy skin. It could be stomach pain. It could be joint pain. It affects people in different ways. And it's very hard again, to figure out which of those it is. So if you're going to add in some of these, you know, superfoods one at a time, make sure your protein powder is high quality, get that in, make sure you're putting in um, water and not using any kind of like milk or juice as the liquid base. Um, and then with your um, superfoods, just just pick one. Because one tablespoon of hemp seed or cacao nibs, whatever it is, is not going to give you the superfood power, the magic elixir that you need that day. It's just not going to happen because anti-nutrients hinder the, the absorption of certain minerals like iron and calcium and phosphorus because they bind. Yeah. And so you just want to be careful. So one at a time, folks, and, um, and, and take it easy on those. All right. So I think we're good on that. So now I want to break down different sources of protein powder and also help our viewers know what to look for in terms of picking out the best one that's for them. So um, let's start with whey. So we know it comes from milk. It's the part of the liquid leftover during cheese making and it contains lactose um, or sugars, um, milk sugars, which some people can't digest. Mm -hmm. And they are rich in BCAAs, which are branched chain amino acids, which I wanna talk about. And especially leucine, which promotes muscle growth and amino acids, once they're absorbed into our bloodstream, they start that protein synthesis cycle over and over again. Um, but not everybody can have whey if they have a dairy intolerance or allergy. So tell me your thoughts on whey and then casein. Talk mm -hmm. about casein too. 
Great. In the difference. Um, yeah. So uh, first off, whey is by far my go-to protein powder um, post-workout. Uh, like you mentioned, there are definitely some exceptions. Uh, we keep kind of circling back to vegetarians and vegans and people that have some sort of a moral obligation against eating animal-based products. And I totally get that. Um, and I would certainly never question that or try and push anything on them. So we'll certainly look at other options. Uh, like you mentioned, some different types of vegan-based proteins, plant-based proteins, things of that nature. Um, however, uh, nothing is as good as whey. There's, there's no right. question about it. First off, um, post-workout, like we mentioned, you want to have protein powders that digest as fast as possible. Nothing digests faster than whey. Um, whey there are different forms of uh, types of protein powder, depending on how they kind of get processed. Um, from isolates to concentrates to hydrolysates, uh, whey hydrolysate probably digests the fastest. Uh, so for people, yeah, really yeah, let's talk. Let's talk about those. I have those down yeah. here. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, there it, it, to to get into uh, the specifics of how each of them are kind of processed um, may uh, be somewhat, um, not necessarily falling under the scope of, of this conversation, but essentially knowing that each one of them probably provides different benefits under different circumstances. Um, mm -hmm. for again, uh, like I mentioned, post-workout hydrolysate would probably digest the fast. The other two still probably digest much faster than other forms of protein powders. Like you mentioned, like pea proteins or other types of vegan proteins, um, so any form of whey, I would say is probably as long as it's coming from a really good source. Um, and by a really good source, I mean, has to come from organic cows, right? Um, we definitely don't want kind of commercial grade, uh, you know, like, like heavily um, commercially processed or produced uh, through cows that had been treated with antibiotics and hormones mm -hmm. and uh, you know, spend their lives in, you know, confined areas. We want organic grass-fed cows right. um, that had the ability to free roam and are free range, um, you know, had not been shot up with antibiotics because all that stuff ends up in their products, right? If you're eating the mm -hmm. meat from those cows, you're getting all that stuff. Absolutely. If you're consuming the whey protein from their milk, you're getting all that stuff as well. Um, so, that's definitely an important consideration. Unfortunately, you're going to pay a little bit more for it. Um, however, I would actually probably argue that if you're not going to do it well and not get it from good sources, I don't know that I would do it at all. You know, I, I, I feel that strongly about mm -hmm. how bad the yep. supplement industry is regulated. It's not regulated at all, really. So if you're not getting it from a good source, from a company that you trust, uh, I wouldn't take it because you don't really know what's in there, you know, and you could be filling your body with some really bad stuff, um, which actually brings me to one more point that I wanted to make uh, to kind of add to your point about vegan proteins. A, uh, a study came out a few years ago where they kind of ranked some protein powders um, as far as basically their degree of heavy metal content and the number one protein powder that can that contained the highest degree of heavy metals arsenic um, i think was probably one of the biggest ones there might have been like uh even some lead or, or something along like some really nasty stuff vega protein uh vega mm. protein powder which you Vegas see everywhere or, you see it in, yeah yeah exactly right 
had mm -hmm. the highest amounts of heavy metal content. Um, and I, I think that's another issue with, um, uh, with plant-based proteins to begin with is that if you are um, getting some sort of whey protein or casein protein from a good source, you're probably not getting exposed to those sorts of things. Uh, but even the, what would be considered higher quality vegan proteins, you're running the risk of being exposed to a lot of heavy metals also. Um, so that's probably something else that people should consider. And if they are gonna have a plant-based protein, that also you must make sure you're getting it from a, from a good company that you trust and that you know does good manufacturing practices and gets third-party um, yes. testing as well, right? Super, super it, important. Yeah, G GMP yeah. certified, good manufacturing yeah. practices. Mm -hmm. There yeah. are third-party com third companies that'll come in and test these things. And it should have a stamp on there that literally says GMP certified, um, right. which gives you another kind of like level of security, knowing that you're actually getting a good quality product. Yeah. So two things here. One is I do want to say that if you are ordering your protein powders on a place called like Amazon, right? They have so many third party sellers who literally steal bottles and labels and put fillers in these products. So you think you're getting from the manufacturer, but you're not. So I always, if I'm ordering supplements, protein powders, anything like that, I would rather pay for shipping and get it straight from the manufacturer's website, knowing that it's untouched and stable than um, having it be an unknown yeah. from a third party on Amazon. So, and that is a, an yeah. absolute fact. Um, what was the other thing I want to say? Oh, about uh, whey and casein. So it's not just mm -hmm. from cows, but uh, so I can't do whey. So one of the things I figured out many years ago that didn't hurt my stomach was um, goat whey and it's mm, still okay. grass fed. Yeah. So it has a little bit of a different taste, but you know, once you get, you know, it takes 21 days to change over your taste buds. So there's always an option out there for everyone. So goat whey, yeah. sheep whey, those are cows milk can be argued that it is not meant for human consumption. Goat and sheep are much easier on the human digestion system. So something to look at if you can't do cow whey. Um, the other thing about casein, lesser known casein takes much longer to digest. So it's still mm -hmm. great and still has yeah. all those BCAAs, the branched chain amino acids, um, but um, digest much more slowly. All right, let's move on to one of my favorite, my, my go-to is egg white protein powder because, you know, whey really is not my thing. Um, just from a digestion. So I love, I don't love that it's just made out of egg whites and, and there is such a thing as egg yolk only protein powder because I deal with a lot of clients who get um, very uh, um, deep dives into food sensitivities and a lot of people can't have egg whites, right? So I had to yeah. find an alternative because I make homemade protein bars for my clients. And so there is an egg yolk one and it's really interesting. It, I don't know that I've ever actually seen that. That's yeah, yeah, really yeah. There's, you know, like I said, there's something for everybody out there. Absolutely. So, but um, egg white protein powder is super easy to purchase. You want to make sure you're getting it from a manufacturer who uses good practices as well, meaning eggs from that are organic and pasture raised. Uh, just like Bobby said, whatever that animal is eating or being injected with or subjected to by its 
farmers, um, rest assured that is going in your gut. So if you're a middle-aged female like myself who is serious about hormone replacement therapy and um, really staying healthy and really trying to stay balanced, rest assured that any hormones used on any of these animals that you are eating anywhere in any form are going in your gut and they're huge hormone and endocrine disruptors. Mm -hmm. So that's just gonna set you back too. So it all, like there's a full circle of how to live this this lifestyle. It's a full commitment. It's not it's not a 70-30, it's not an 80-20. Like, you know, you want to have a cheat day, you want to cheat on something, your body doesn't just give you a pass on that. It all counts, right? So just be um, very aware of that. So egg white protein powder is widely available on the market. It comes, it's tons of flavors. My favorite is um, Julian Bakery, and they're not actually sold in stores and you can get them on their website and they have all these great flavors and really super clean ingredients and they use monk fruit i believe as the sweetener um so they it's also a great source of your branch chain amino acids and it has the second highest amount of leucine which is kind of cool oh i actually yeah. didn't even realize that either that is yeah. kind of cool yeah, there's another company out there called MRM, and they sell a really nice, clean um, egg white protein powder as well. And nice. they also sell other types too, but those are the two big manufacturers that my go-to. So back to vegan blends, um, pea protein. I want people to know about pea protein. It, uh, it is rich in your branched chain amino acids. And these are made from yellow split peas, which is a legume. Legumes are very high in lectins and phytic acid. They're an, these are anti-nutrients, again, that I always talk about. So they can cause leaky gut and inflammation, further issues. And folks with autoimmune disease should absolutely not be eating pea protein or, or grain-based protein powders um, because of the inflammation it can cause. So this is most popular, obviously, among vegans, vegetarians, and food allergy community. And then there's hemp protein. Have you ever used hemp protein? I have, yeah. Yeah, what yeah. do you think of it? I mean, you know, it's, it's fine um, as far as the, the plant-based proteins go. I think it's, a, it's definitely an mm -hmm. option, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, for people that may have, like, I personally have tried split pea protein and it digests terribly for me. Um, that hemp has a tendency to do a little okay. bit better. Um, mm -hmm. So for me personally, if I was going to, let's say I'm on a trip somewhere and uh, you know, my wife and I really love to travel and hike and climb and, and do really active things. You know, So after we may get done with a really intense hike, maybe I didn't bring my protein powder with me if we're kind of running into a health food store and I saw a, a hemp protein there looked at the company seemed to be a pretty good source. It would be something that I would probably divert to as opposed to other sources of plant-based proteins. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. Hemp, if I was gonna do a vegan protein source, it would be hemp protein powder. Yeah. It's high in omega-3s, it's, it's more easily digestible, um, but it is not considered a complete protein because it's low in the essential amino acids lysine and leucine. So that's the other thing. We want to make sure we're getting complete protein sources. Um, then another one here I have down is brown rice. And you were talking about arsenic before. So brown rice is mm -hmm. notorious for arsenic. And my clients get, they're always so shocked when we talk about um, 
if there's going to be carbohydrates in their daily nutrition. And I always say, make white rice, let it cool in the fridge and then eat it because at that point it's a prebiotic, right? Yeah, right. So it's a resistant starch. So brown rice has everything, like it's all intact, the hull and everything. And so it carries the arsenic, which is a toxin to our bodies. So especially if you're someone like me who has a genetic SNP like the MTHFR, which is, we call it the motherfucker gene, and it's very common, right? But it means that our methylation um, pathway is disrupted and we aren't able to methylize or break things down as easily and, and then detox. And so we want to make sure that we're not bringing in any more toxins than we have to. And we're already being exposed to toxins all over the place. The air we breathe in our if we in our house or a building, depending on what kind of cleaning solutions that are being used, or if you're eating out at a restaurant, rest assured they're not using, you know, clean products like you would at home. Mm -hmm. So lowering your incoming toxins um, by making tweaks to purchasing better quality protein powders is also huge just in terms of toxicity alone, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So brown rice is probably something I would never recommend. Yeah. All right. And in addition to all these, um, these different types of protein powders in protein powders, if you're not buying just a single ingredient protein powder, which most people are not, we're always buying flavored ones. You've got to consider all the different sweeteners in there, like cane sugar, monk fruit, um, dextrin, maltodextrin, sucralose, stevia, aspartame. I mean, there's like a whole spectrum of sweeteners. Some healthier than others, some really, really bad and carcinogenic, right? And then there's flavor additives, preservatives, color dyes. You know, my boys, when they would go to college, they would send me pictures of like this, you know, 50 pound tub of protein powder that was like purple. Okay, what's making it purple? And then it's like yellow dye number this, blue dye, red dye. And I was like, okay, well, you've ADHD first off. So we don't want any color dyes in there because that's going to like not take you down a pretty good path. But so really looking and learning how to read ingredient labels and and talking about ingredient labels and then moving to the nutrition label, what is the optimal amount of protein grams someone should be looking for on that label? So it's uh, like, again, like you said, it's very dependent on the person's why, um, their goals, what they're looking to accomplish and the type of workouts that they're doing also. And their age, their gender, uh, you know, the, the specific type of demographic that they're in as well. So there are a lot of factors that go into how much protein somebody should be consuming. Um, and that's on a daily, uh, from a daily perspective. And then also uh, kind of at like one given meal as well. So you know, it's kind of a rough estimate, but um, anywhere between, let's say 0.7 to maybe one grams per pound of body weight is a pretty good place to be for most people. Uh, Younger uh, in life or um, earlier in life or younger individuals have a tendency to need a little bit more protein. Uh, They're going through growth spurts, of course, and their body is in um, kind of all of our bodies are in a constant state of protein turnover. So breaking down and building back up, this is uh, not just specific to muscle tissue, but 
bone and skin and blood vessels mm -hmm. and enzymes and um, immune cells and all those things are made up of uh, proteins, right? And amino acids. Right. So your body is constantly breaking them down and building them up, breaking them down and building them up. So um, when we are in a state where our body is, is building up proteins at a faster rate than it's breaking down, we grow. And then when we are in a state where it's breaking down proteins faster than it's building them up, then we atrophy, right? We, we break down more muscle tissue and bone tissue for that matter. So early in life, people need more protein uh, because it needs to support the processes of your body's developments. Uh, this is definitely very important for the skeletal system. This is important for the muscular system, both skeletal muscle, the muscles that, that move mm -hmm. our, our joints and everything, but also cardiac muscle tissue. Uh, and I would probably say most <clears throat> importantly, our nervous system as well, mm -hmm. right? Because our nervous system doesn't even fully develop really until probably after puberty. But even at that point, um, many studies <laughs> are coming out that are indicating your nervous system still has the ability to change. They call it this neuroplasticity, right? right. Uh, so therefore we need protein to support all of these processes. And then you throw exercise on top of that. So if you're exercising and you're doing a type of training session where there's a lot of muscle breakdown, i.e. heavy resistance training, sprint training, high intensity training, your protein requirements are going to be higher, of course. Uh, and then on the kind of opposite side of the spectrum, you get later in life and your body starts actually, unfortunately, kind of down-regulating that mm -hmm. proteins, that natural protein synthesis, and it starts up-regulating protein degradation. You right. need more protein at that point, yeah. right? Um, especially the types of proteins that stimulate that protein synthesis. Um, like you mentioned leucine, which is one of the branch chain amino acids. Mm -hmm. uh, the other two are isoleucine and valine, so that three, three branch chain amino acids. Leucine is the stimulator for muscle growth. Without leucine, you are not really optimizing your body's signaling pathways to initiate an increase in muscle mass. This is particularly important later in life when people are starting to break down more muscle tissue. So protein requirements are probably higher in elderly people, right? Yeah. Um, so I would say, again, anywhere between, depending on your kind of age, your gender, what you're doing, um, 0.7 to one grams per pound of body weight is a pretty, pretty good place to be. Uh, so if you're, you know, a 200 pound male and you're working out pretty hard and let's say, you know, you're 25 years old and you want to maintain, you know, good muscle mass, you don't want to lose muscle tissue, 200 grams of protein is probably okay. You know, yeah. um, like we mentioned agree. earlier. Yeah, totally. You know, uh, people that aren't working out quite as hard, they may not need quite necessarily as much. Um, mm -hmm. But again, later in life, as you continue to age, protein requirements definitely need to stay high. Definitely important. Absolutely. So what I tell my clients is um, because I work with mostly middle-aged people, but definitely younger also. Uh, but I, to make it easy, I say no less than 30 grams of protein per meal, right? right. No less. So a protein powder scoop is usually yeah. somewhere around 24 grams, but um, you know, so oh, it's, Lord. but that's, that's not a meal replacement. That's just, you know, like your post-workout shake, right? So you're fine with that. And then mm -hmm. you've, 
But I would say, um, for example, um, a chicken breast, a nice sized chicken breast is about 30 grams, right? Or about a six to yeah. eight ounce, 10 ounce steak. You know, you wanna like this, this whole notion, one of the functional medicine doctors that came out with this whole thing where you wanna eat the size of protein that's the palm of your hand, which mm. is probably about four ounces. I mean, that's like one bite to me, right? That's so unsatiating <laughs> and, it's, it, and it doesn't have enough protein in it. The problem with yeah. not eating enough protein is one, you're not gonna feel full and satiated throughout the day. So you want nice mm -hmm. um, amounts of protein mixed with a healthy dose of fat. That's the equation for saying satiated and nourished, right? Mm -hmm. Gut health, brain health, uh, cellular health, it's all wrapped up in this equation. Mm -hmm. And like you were saying, elderly people, like sarcopenia is a disease of the elderly. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a real thing. This is why elderly people can't walk. And when they fall, they break something yeah. immediately, right? Yeah. Um, and that is not the position we all want to be in. We all want to be in, we want to eat for longevity every single day. Mm -hmm. And the equation is having enough protein. And I can tell you right now with working with middle-aged women, um, I'm, I'm going to be 53 next week. And... Um, <laughs> No, I feel really good. Well, happy but, early birthday. Well, thank you. And but, you still look great. So. Oh, well, thank you. Absolutely. Um, uh, women have a really difficult time wrapping their head around eating enough protein. You yeah. know, they're, they're yeah. salad this and salad that or green tea or juicing or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And um, I can, they need the protein. Uh, so yeah, I like your equation. I usually do 0.7 to 1.2, depending on the person. Yeah, great. great. And, and Absolutely. Athlete. Right. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's. That's great. Now let's just really quickly take that post-workout shake. And now some people like to have a meal replacement shake instead of a meal. Mm -hmm. So now that's the, the meal replacement shake, forget that it's a post-workout shake. You wake up in the morning, maybe you're not going to work out for a few hours and you just feel like having a really yummy shake. Mm -hmm. That's where you can add in the fat. I, add, this is what I do. And then you tell me what you think. I have my clients ask themselves this, where's my protein, where's my healthy fat, and where are my spark carbs, meaning like some frozen berries or something, mm -hmm. depending on what their, their why is, of course, and their individual goals here. Yeah. But that's where you need to have, or can have all three components because you, we're not now rushing the protein to be digested and absorbed and up into your upregulate up into your your muscle tissue right to right. fill in that glycogen that we lost we haven't gone through that process yet so now right. so what are your thoughts on a meal replacement shake yeah i think they're a great idea um you know i mean i think we probably discussed this before also when if and when possible, whole foods are, are the best yeah. choice. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, I don't think that meal replacements could ever really do uh, quite as good of a job a as trying to stay consistent with whole foods outside of, of the peri-workout situation. Um, however, I think meal replacement shakes do a lot of good for a lot of people, especially these days. Well, now things obviously have changed within the past 10 to 12 months pretty very very dramatically but um prior to that and and still probably to a large degree people 
live and work very kind of fast pace and, and high stress and um, high motivation type lives. And they don't necessarily always have the time to prep meals in advance. They don't have the time to, you know, go home and cook for lunch or breakfast or dinner or whatever. So meal replacements can definitely uh, find a really good place under those types of circumstances. And um, I think like you said, that's the perfect time to try and slow things down, right? Like after your workout, as we mentioned, you want to digest as fast as possible. Right. Whey protein, uh, whey protein, and then some sort of faster digesting carbohydrate. Great, right? Um, the rest of the day, we actually wanna try and slow the digestive process down a little bit so that things don't get into the bloodstream quite as quickly. Uh, that would, if we did, eat things that digested really quickly. Let's just take like, you know, fast digesting carbohydrates. I mean, mm -hmm. table sugar is the, is the easiest example, right? That gets into the bloodstream really quick because it's really easy to break down and um, kind of diffuse into the bloodstream and it spikes blood sugar. What comes with a increase in blood sugar An increase in insulin, right? right. Um, over time, if insulin stays chronically elevated, then your body is going to become what's known as insulin resistant. And mm -hmm. that's basically the first step to diabetes and metabolic syndromes and those mm -hmm. sorts of things. Um, so yeah, slowing down the food and the way that it digests is definitely important. So those meal replacement shakes, great to add in some really healthy fats, great to add in some smart carbs. If you're going to do that also, like you said, mm -hmm. in the form of berries, but you don't need to be eating a ton at that point either, right? I mean, right. you're not going to throw, you would never probably, I would hope, sit down and eat four bananas at one time. No. There's no need to throw four bananas in a shake, even if you're going to be able to drink it easier than you would eat it. So therefore, do what you would do if you were going to eat the same amount of foods, right? right. One banana in there, one cup of frozen berries, some protein powder. Um, people really like using collagen powders, also mm -hmm. collagen protein. As long as you're getting that from a good source, that's probably not a bad idea. Um, a slower digesting protein, like we mentioned before, casein, a slower digesting protein would be good at that point as well. Right. Uh, or the, like you mentioned too, the egg white or egg yolk protein for that matter. Um, right. I really like the beef protein yep as well it's another one that i really use a lot mm -hmm. um so all those would be great options under that type of a circumstance yeah we did for i forgot to mention beef protein it's such a great protein because it. it comes from a cow except yeah. it's not part of the dairy right, right. it's the beef so people who have a dairy intolerance yeah. can have beef protein and yeah. that company julian bakery makes a really tasty beef protein that's great uh, you don't taste beef right it's yeah. just whatever oh, no, no no absolutely yeah. vanilla yeah. chocolate whatever the flavor yeah. is so that's yeah. a great one another thing i like to add into a meal replacement shake if i was to have them is mct oil absolutely i love this it's a great medium chain triglyceride it's a clear liquid it has zero flavor but right. a tablespoon or two adds in a couple hundred calories um 
and it's just really great um, for gut health and brain health. Yeah. So really quick um, and easy, healthy fat. Also, you know, forget the banana and add in frozen avocado. You get the yeah. same creaminess, but it's low carbohydrate, doesn't raise your blood sugar as much as like a banana would, mm -hmm. um, and has that nice healthy fat. So, yeah. and you don't taste it because of all the other flavors going on. So just right. a couple ideas for everybody out there. Another... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. Yeah. Uh, and okay. Another really good option you could do for people that are trying to maintain lower carbohydrate consumptions, frozen cauliflower is actually another really good option mm. that I've started using a little bit more lately. It's incredible actually how easily it blends up and how it's kind of smooth and creamy it makes meal replacement shakes. Uh, so for people that are trying to maybe kind of keep calories a little bit lower, keep carbohydrates right. a little bit lower, frozen cauliflower might be a good option for them as well. Oh, that's a great idea. And yeah. I would have never thought of that. Love yeah, that. I know. I hadn't either. So yeah. a friend of mine told me about it. I tried it. I'm like, this is actually incredible. I can't believe yeah. it took this long to find out about this. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah. All right. So we have a few minutes left. I just want to do a little dive on protein bars. Cool. Um, I actually make homemade protein bars for all my clients with like four ingredients or less. I make them super clean out of, and my base is macadamia nut butter because macadamia nuts by far are like the number one nut out there in terms yeah. of like health benefits, low yeah. carb, um, super, super high in healthy fats, which yeah. keep you full and satiated, just a great not all the way around and smooth and creamy and takes on a lot of different colors. Uh, I mean, flavors um, when you add them, right? Not colors. Yeah. Um, but what are your thoughts on these store-bought protein bars? Because to me, they're just few and far between yeah. of high quality ones that really um, do the job. And the rest to me are just glorified snicker bars. Yeah, that's big. That's that. I, I couldn't agree with that more. Um, you know, a uh, uh, Unfortunately, like you mentioned, uh, protein bars are kind of put into that same category as other types of supplements where there's not really any sort of regulation on them, right? Um, a, B, people need to really understand how important it is to read ingredient labels and nutrition labels, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, they could, yes, say that they put in X amount, you know, 30 grams of protein or whatever the number is. But if A, the protein is coming from a really bad source and B, it comes along with a lot of other crap, then yeah. it's a very, not only is it not a good option, it could actually be like a very, very bad, bad poor option um, for people that are trying to do something healthy for themselves. Uh, so I love that the protein bars that you're making have four ingredients. Quite honestly, I don't know that any protein bar should have more than that, right? Exactly. Uh, so people, I think, need to get um, used to reading ingredient labels, making sure that the fewer the ingredients, the better the product probably is, mm -hmm. pending they're using good ingredients. You know, unfortunately, yeah. so many of these bars have soy proteins in them, um, which, of course, we know is very low quality, uh, or they're using other types of probably very poor quality protein powders as well. Um, so you need to know the company that you're getting them from. Um, we've used uh, like Bulletproof. You mentioned Dave Asprey earlier. Uh, Bulletproof has made some pretty decent protein mm -hmm. bars, I think. Um, and there are definitely some companies out there, but look for the ones that have the least amount of ingredients. Um, definitely do your research on the companies that you're getting them from, making sure that 
they're using good sources of protein and that they're not overloading them with some of the crap that you discussed earlier, dyes and, uh, you know, food dyes, um, you know, really bad sweeteners and additives and preservatives and those sorts of things. Right. You want to stay away from those chemical sweeteners, those artificial sweeteners like aspartame. I mean, right. there have been, I mean, probably an infinite amount of scientific studies that have linked aspartame to different forms of cancer, cancer. development, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, and that's not the only one, right? So right. sweeteners are definitely an important thing to consider. Monk fruit, I think is, is probably a great yeah. option. Um, and there are some other natural sweeteners as well. That's kind of the one that comes to mind uh, right now, but right. Um, that's important. Good protein source is important. A little nut butter in there is definitely a great thing for a stabilizer. Um, mm -hmm. And then maybe, you know, some like uh, organic cacao powder or mm -hmm. something along those lines, you know, nice like, antioxidant. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I think people really, yeah, people have to really read these labels and also know that these bars are not filling, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's like, if you're sitting in, there is a time and a place where I totally get it where people want to have something like mm -hmm. in their backpack or their work bag or their desk or in their car, they're stuck in traffic or whatever it is. And they're just having like, you know, I need to eat something. Right. Yeah. But if we back up and if you eat properly all day, you're not going to require the protein bar in the first place. Absolutely. Right. If Absolutely. you, if you hit your, if you hit your protein grams, in, in your goal, right? Whether mm -hmm. it's 150 to 200 grams of protein a day. Mm -hmm. And if you hit your healthy fat goals, meaning that you're staying satiated and nourished and not, you won't crave the protein bar. Right. The protein bar is, you know, in people's mind is like a treat, a snack, a freebie. It's not yeah. a freebie. Yeah. And one of the things we did, I also forgot to mention was soy protein, which is another vegan option. And one of the worst out there. And if you are a man, let me tell you what soy does to you. Man boobs. Okay. <laughs> Two words, man boobs. That comes from soy because yeah. it has an estrogenic effect to it, meaning it breaks down and it mimics estrogen in your body. And women are estrogen dominant, men are testosterone dominant. So right. you don't want to confuse your body. And for women, we don't want to be have excess estrogen in our body. So even when we eat soy, that poses lots of problems for us, it, you know, breast cancer and fatigue and, and, and weight gain and all types of other things can happen with um, too much estrogen in your body. So avoid soy. And if you read on the nutrition label underneath in fine print, it will say contains in bold. It has to be in bold lettering the top eight allergens. So it'll say contains wheat, soy, dairy, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever combination of the eight top eight allergens, out, food allergens out there, right? Mm -hmm. So read that. I would read that part first of the nutrition label. And if it has any of the things in there that I'm trying to avoid, just don't even bother reading them. Just put it down. Not worth the time. Yeah, totally. Exactly. So that first I would suggest practice increasing your protein macros and your healthy fat macros, and then see where your cravings are. And then make yeah. sure you're buying a really solid um, protein bar like Bobby and I are both suggesting. And I also wanna say about um, protein bars things that look like protein bars that aren't protein bars with very few ingredients, things like the RX bar. And now I think there's a couple other companies out there that are doing 
um, bars, kind of like the RX, which have the egg whites. But if you read, it starts with dates. Dates are pure sugar. So these are not protein bars at our, at all. These are sugar candy bars that just- They're date is, bars, yeah. They're, they're <laughs> date bars. Yeah, it's something yeah. that's gonna produce a huge insulin um, surge in your body, that's something, yeah, yeah, you don't want that. So it's very hard to find a really good protein bar. Um, I teach my clients how to make them. I have my own secret sauce recipe that um, I'm very proud of in different nice. flavors. And uh, so that's what I do for my clients. So that's great. Yeah. yeah. So I think we've covered a lot. I hope that, oh, here's, I did write down my go-tos on protein bars for people. Um, I like Omega, which is widely available. And it's used, it uses grass-fed protein powder. I don't love the sugar choice in there. I actually think it's agave or it's some kind of sugar in there I don't really love, but it at least has grass-fed protein powder. It's like, you can get like a lot of the good ingredients and then there's always one in there. You're like, shit, yeah. like, why did they, why did, can I just talk to the head person here, yeah, right. <laughs> right? Just, just one that. Thing. Just take just, that one thing out. Yeah, just swap it, right, with monk fruit. So right. Omega, is, and they taste really good. Um, I also love BooFit, which is B-H-U Fit, like fitness. And um, they uh, they have a grass-fed whey, a egg white one, which is the one I would eat. And they also have a vegan, uh, vegan options, but I would say stick with the whey and with the egg white protein ones. They're not super sweet at all, but I think they use, I wanna say monk fruit. Um, and those are, I think, really good. And then Julian Bakery, which I mentioned with the protein powder, they're just such a great company. They have a huge line of all different options, super clean, zero sugars in them, and they taste great. Um, and avoid all peanut butter flavors at all costs. Peanuts are a legume. They are not a nut. Think legume, think anti-nutrients, think lectins and phytates okay so peanut butter problems, right? <laughs> totally right so peanut butter is out almond butter cashew butter macadamia nut butter even better um so that's it with part two i hope that there's a bunch of takeaways for all of you out there please feel free to um, go on my facebook page at jill Foos wellness and send in any questions or comments i'm going to put bobby's information on there i'll also be um i'm just about done writing a blog post on all part one and part two that i'll Put up, put up for everybody soon. Um, so look for that. And it'll just be a total summary of all the things that Bobby and I were able to break down in these um, two hours. And Bobby, it was such a pleasure speaking to you about all of this stuff. God, we could go on forever about so Seriously, many different I know, topics. I, know. I feel like there's still so much more that we can continue talking about. But yeah, thank you so much, Jill. This, this really was such a, such a great experience, both last time and this time. Yeah. Um, so, so thank you. I really appreciate it. And lots of fun. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate the support and stay tuned for really interesting Facebook lives coming your way this year. Thanks guys. Take care, everybody. Bye.